So how do you look through a lens and build wealth? Good morning, everybody. This is Will, and I'm on one of my famous morning walks. We're going to queue up the intro and then come right back and answer that question. How do we look through a lens and build wealth? The world is changing faster than ever. What do you do to make sure you don't get left behind? What are the principles that stand the test of time, the strategies to implement in this new age, and the tactics to accomplish our biggest financial dreams? What are the new rules to the money game? And how can we grow our skills, knowledge, and wealth so that we can have the freedom we truly desire? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Will Myers, and welcome to the Modeling Genius Podcast. If you enjoy this episode and want to master money, go to nomoneynoproblems.com and begin to learn the principles of the wealthy and master money with my digital course and wealth planning tools. That's nomoneynoproblems.com. No, like understand money. No, like zero problems. Nomoneynoproblems.com. Good morning, everybody. I don't know when you're going to get this or when you're going to listen to this, but for me, it's first thing in the morning. I'm on one of my famous morning walks. So you probably hear some background music, some birds chirping, some deer running around, all that cool stuff. But um, it's just easy for me to, to record something, get it out to you. And so you can start listening, start learning and start building wealth through some of these strategies that I've learned over my years and experience and mentorships and all of that stuff. And so how do we how do we look through a lens and build wealth? And what does that even mean? Well, for years, man, I mean, I struggled longer than I've been successful. And for years I struggled. And, and it was always just trying to figure out, like, what's the right move? Right. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but like, what, what do I do next to get to where I want to go financially speaking? And, th- and that can pertain to anything. You know, like, what do I do next? Like in this relationship? Right. You know, I don't. I mean, I'm in the middle of an argument. How do I, what do I do next? Oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. Or, or like even in the beginning of a relationship, like how do I ask them out? Stuff like that. But financially speaking, what's the next thing that I do that's going to help me build wealth? And that was the question that I really struggled with for a long time. I never knew. I was like, man, how does it seem so easy to some people? And for me, feel so difficult, feel so complicated, like, Am I ever going to untangle this mess in my mind? And that's where the lenses and frameworks come from. And so my first mentor, Darren, was a multiple, multiple millionaire, had lots of money, built it the old fashioned way, the good old fashioned roll up your sleeves and get to work, which is the best way, by the way. And he came from nothing, worked his way up to becoming a multimillionaire. And one of the things I noticed, because I spent a lot of time around him early on, And of course, that one mentorship and relationship led to many others. But spending so much time around him, I really got to see how he thought. And for, you know, and and to this to this day, I can answer questions like he would answer them. I can say things like he would say them. I, I know on some subjects how he thinks because I spent so much time around him. And I asked him so many questions and I've seen him. I've seen him in so many you know, like examples of stuff that comes up, right? So <clears throat> naturally, <clears throat> excuse me, naturally, I built this framework in my mind for how Darren thinks. And it just, 
happened. I didn't mean to do it. It wasn't out to do that. It was not what I was looking for. But I began to answer questions like him, which means I began to think like him. I began to have a thought process in my mind that I know he would walk through. And then I'd step into that and go, well, here's what he would say. And then sure enough, boom, he would say it. And I knew that because we would be in a conversation like him and somebody else. And I'd be in the room, like sitting there just observing. And he would be having this conversation and somebody would ask him a question. And I would immediately start answering it in my head. And sure enough, that's exactly what he would say. Boom. I was like, holy cow, I think I got it. I got it as it pertains to that subject matter, whatever we were talking about in the moment, right? Well, that's a framework. That's a lens that you look through. And that's how you build wealth. You find out what successful entrepreneurs, what successful business people, what wealthy people think, how they think, what they're thinking, what their thought process is, what their framework that they operate from. And then you operate from that same thing. That's why I love principles so much. Principles don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from, what kind of education you have, do not have, how white you are, how black you are. They don't care about anything. Principles work for everybody. And that's really what a lens is. That's really what a framework is. It's just principles to follow. And so for what I'm going to talk about now, it, it took me for a long time to struggle. I mean, I was struggling for so long. I mean, it felt so long. I started at 17 years old. And I'm 31 now, and I do whatever I want, whenever I want. So did I really struggle that long? I don't know. I'm impatient, so I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but um, so a framework of thinking. You've got to start breaking things down like that. And it's, it's really like a mental checklist, so to speak. If it doesn't pass the test, I'm not doing it. It's just the way I think. It's the lens that I operate from. If it doesn't pass the checklist in my mind, then I'm not doing it when it comes to finances. So let me walk you through one of them. I've got several, and I'm going to give them all to you, not all in one podcast, but over, the, over this series, I'm going to give you a bunch of them. So the first one is called the four pillars. The four pillars is a framework for which I look through when I'm going to save or put my money somewhere. And the, the, the pillars help you to decide if it's a good idea for you based on your goals. And that's a key factor right there, based on your goals. There's not there's not a one size fits all. I'm totally against like blanket general advice. Hey, somebody said on TV or I saw on Instagram that you should do this with your money. I'm like, man, there's not there's not like a one stop shop where you put your money. That's the golden ticket. And then you're wealthy. Like it's not a it's not a commodity that you can buy. And then you're financially free. That's not how it works. It things life is more fluid than that. And I think you know that. I think you realize that. But that's that's really how you can go about this thing is that it changes and it evolves. It doesn't evolve. Your goals and dreams may evolve, but the framework is still the framework. Make sense? Okay. So there's four pillars to the four pillars. Man, we're quick. We're flying through this stuff, aren't we? <laughs> okay. So the first pillar is called safety. And then once you understand that pillar, you're going to ask yourself questions around that pillar. How safe is my money? Can I lose my money? People that have put their money here before, have they lost it? Is there a possibility that I could lose it? So that's the first pillar, safety. How safe is my money? And you really understand something when you start to ask questions around it. Number two, liquidity. Liquid just means how soon can I get it to cash? 
And which is the great question. Like, hey, if I put my money here and whether it's safe or not, doesn't matter. Liquid, how soon can I get my hands on this cash? All right, now let's think about, well, we'll come back and we'll, we'll put the four pillars to the test in actual real life examples here in just a sec. So first one, safety. You ask questions like, how safe is my money? Number two is liquidity. How liquid is my money? How soon can I get it to cash? The easiest spendable. Number three, anytime we're talking about growing our money, we've got to talk about rate of return, our ROR. What kind of rate of return can I expect? What kind of rate of return has it done historically? What is it based on? Which is, you know, that's a really good question. What is it based on? Um, there's a lot of, I'm not going to get really deep into this on this conversation, but the interest rate, the rate of return, where does it come from? What's it based on? How do you come up with the interest rate? Is it declared by somebody? Is it based off an index? You know, these are all, those are all way more detailed questions, but the basic question is just what kind of rate of return can I expect? What has it done historically? I'm not going to get into the math of the average rate of return versus the actual rate of return in this podcast. That's going to be an entirely other one. But there's some there's some voodoo math that people can do to kind of deceive you. They don't mean to. They're probably just not as educated as you are. Um, so when you, when you learn about the average rate of return versus the actual rate of return, you'll be empowered to make better financial decisions. But for now, you just want to know the four pillars, which is number three, rate of return. And then number four is probably the most important. And it's the most overlooked. Everybody gets the first three and they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, money, money, money. Number four is where your money's made or lost because you can nail the first three of the four pillars. But if you mess up the fourth one, you just wasted all those years. You wasted like decades of time because you didn't think all the way through the problem. And in school, man, I would mess that up so many times. Like, man, I got this. And, you know, I'm just hurrying up trying to get through the test or whatever, the quiz. And then I don't finish the problem. Like, I don't think all the way through the problem, wrap it up, turn it in, get my score back. I'm like, dang, <laughs> man, I can't wait to graduate. This is <laughs> my test is all jacked up because I didn't finish the problem. Like, I didn't think all the way through. Like, I didn't carry the one or cross the T or whatever. Right. So thinking all the way through the problem is principle number four, which is the most important taxation. How am I going to be taxed? And the number one thing that I've learned from wealthy people, like the wealthiest of people, is how obsessed they are with reducing their taxes to the legal minimum. You've got to understand something. I'm not going to go deep into this one. I am in another podcast. But the IRS tax manual, that is a treasure map. And if you are wise and you are smart, you will figure out how to navigate through that treasure map to get your treasure. Most people hear IRS taxes and they run. They get scared. They're, they have no reasoning. They have, they're like, you ask them, you dig a little deep into that. Hey, man, why are you worried about tax man? Why are you worried about IRS? I don't have anything to say on it. The wealthiest people in the world know that the IRS tax code is a list of incentives to business owners and to you and to me to reduce our taxes to the legal minimum. There's only like four or five pages in the IRS manual that talk about how you pay taxes. There's like 900 more pages that talk about how you can reduce or eliminate taxes. And it's 100% legal. The IRS publishes the document. So it would be wise of you to learn how to do that. 
Why would it be wise to do that? Because you can cut coupons and save 50 cents on a gallon of milk, or you can reduce taxes to the legal minimum. Taxes are your greatest expense over your lifetime. Each and every year, you pay more in taxes than you do in healthcare, your rent and your mortgage, and your food combined. So why are we gonna worry about cutting coupons when we can worry about reducing taxes? So that's the fourth pillar. It's so vital that you master the four pillars, but that's the lens in which you look through. So now let's use the four pillars and what it would look like in real life, okay? So let's think about this for a second. So depending on my goals, it depends. The, the four pillars are just gonna help me evaluate what I'm gonna do with my money depending on my goals. So let's say that I wanna buy a house in the next 30 days. I learn about these four pillars. I'm like, okay, well, I'll need to buy a house in the next 30 days. Where do I put my money? Well, let's walk through the four pillars. So let's just say um, safety is important, right? We can't lose money because we're going to buy a house in the next 30 days. Just like you're going to buy a house in the next 30 days, you don't go out and buy something with credit. Hit your credit score, mess up the whole deal, your debt-to-income ratio is off, all that stuff, right? So we don't want to lose money. So we want to make sure our safety is there. Um, but we also need it to be liquid. We also need to make sure that within that 30-day time frame that we can, if we need the cash, we can tap it. That's the entire objective of our goal is to buy a house. So we don't want to sacrifice liquidity. Rate of return, man, that's not so important right now. That's really not, it's inconsequential over 30 days. It's not that big a deal. We're, we're trying to buy a house. Taxation, well, if we're not going to grow our money, the rate of return is not that vital. Well, then taxation, it's still important. We're not, we're not worried about that, but it's not going to be a hit. Because we're not going to grow our money and there's not going to be anything to tax. So we're just not going to make that move, right? So we can look at like a bank account. Now, typically, when we're talking about growing money, bank account is a terrible idea. And it is. You're never going to grow your money in a bank account. But that's the rate of return pillar. It's terrible. But let's look at the first two, safety. How safe is our money if we put it in the bank? If I put 100 bucks in the bank, can I walk down there, pull my $100 out, and they'll give it to me? For sure. It's safe. Now, what about liquidity? Will they, will they give me my money? Yep. So it's, it's very, it's safe and it's liquid. It's so safe that it's insured by the government up to, you know, whatever it is. And it's liquid. That means you can walk down there and they'll give it to you. They'll hand it to you. Now, which rate of return? Not very good. So they're not going to give you a very good rate of return. But is that what we're doing in this situation? No, we're looking to buy a house. We're looking to buy a home. So rate of return is inconsequential at this moment. And then taxes, that, that's also inconsequential because it's going to be there for such a short period of time that it's not going to accrue much. And because it's the bank, <laughs> I think as of this recording, the national average on a checking account in the United States is 0.09%, which means it takes about 830 years for your money to double. 830. Like, I think it's 800, actually. 800 years for your money to double which is 32 generations, 32 generations. So your grandkids, 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 you know, like all the way down, 32 generations. So you're not gonna make a lot of money. So taxes aren't that big of a deal because you're only taxed on income, right? You're only taxed on money you earn. We're not getting into capital gains and dividends and all that stuff. We're just talking about that. So, so if I'm looking to buy a home, look what we just did. We just took the four pillars. We used it in a framework for like, we're gonna go do something with the money. We want to go buy a home, which is a normal, typical thing that people want to do. I recommend it. I've made a lot of money on buying homes. I would recommend you do the same. We're going to talk about that in more and more podcasts, and we're going to talk to real estate experts, all that stuff. 
but we're looking to buy a home in the next 30 days. Typically, when we're talking about building wealth, people don't go, hey, go to the bank. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you need to buy a home in the next 30 days, you can use the four pillars to adjust and go, you know what? Let me just stash it in the bank because I'm going to pull it out anyway. I'm 26 days to closing. You see what I'm saying? So the four pillars is a framework to help you evaluate. It helps you get out of your way. The number one reason human beings don't reach their full potential because we get in our own way. That's it. If you can put frameworks in place that help eliminate you being a knucklehead, you're going to be successful. That's all you've got to do. I don't think my frameworks, my templates, my um, pillars, they do the thinking for me. I don't do any thinking. I think about it way in advance before a decision pops up. When a decision pops up, my frameworks pop in and I step back. You with me on that? So now let's say we want to grow wealth. Let's take an example. So the, I think there's like 95 million Americans that have a 401k. Everybody's heard about a 401k. If you haven't heard of a 401k and I just said everybody's heard about it, you're behind and that's okay because you're going to realize you haven't missed out on much. So I'm going to get to the, the facts to back this here in just a minute. But statistically speaking, nobody, zero, zero percent, none, not a single zilch, nada, nobody, not a single person has ever started saving on a 401k and retired using only a 401k is by far the worst place you could ever put your money. There's some caveats to that. Like, if your company's matching, that's free money. That's a return on your money out of the gate. Some companies do dollar-for-dollar dollar matching. That's a 100% return. Take the money. Okay, so if I wasn't clear on that, that's a good situation. <laughs> and take that. Run with it. Okay? But nobody ever on the history of Earth, since the 401k's been invented, has retired from a 401k. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Let's figure out why. Why is that? Why is a 401k so terrible? Now, again, like I said, if there's massive money, they're giving you money. A lot of companies do that. Take the free money. It sucks that it's tied up in a 401k, but it's free money. What do I mean it's tied up? Check this out. Let's use the four pillars. That's our framework. Let's test the four pillars on the 401k. So a 401k is a qualified retirement plan that's tax deferred. What the heck does all that mean? Let's break it down. Qualified means it's qualified with the IRS and that every dollar inside of that 401k is going to be taxed when whoever owns that 401k decides to take that money out. Okay, so what happens is it's, it's, a, it's just a place that you put money and then inside of that account you can adjust your investments so the money can grow over time. So I put my money in each and every paycheck, each and every month, whatever. And then inside of that, it's like a vehicle. So that's like a car. And I'm throwing all my money in the back seat. Now, the engine of that vehicle are the investments. So whatever I can choose. Now, there's a lot of limitations sometimes to 401ks and all of that stuff. We're not going to get into that. But basically, you're investing in the stock market. You can. There's a variety of different ways to do that. Mutual funds, ETFs, all, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't matter. Basically, you're investing in the stock market. The stock market, to break it down in its most simple form, is just – I'm, I'm walking by this, like, ice stand, and it's kind of loud. So I apologize, but I'm walking through it. We'll be done here in just a second. I'm almost around the corner. But basically, when you're investing in the stock market, you're basically investing in a appreciation. That's what you're hoping those companies do. 
So let's take, for example, Apple. We're like, hey, I think Apple is going to be a good company. I think it's going to continue to go up in value. It's going to continue to appreciate in value. So let me buy a little share of Apple. And let's say Apple's trading at $100. It's not right now. It's higher than that. So we're going back in time. Let's say it's trading at $100. They, had, they announced a new iPhone. Everybody goes, oh, my God, that's so groundbreaking. Oh, they got a new laptop, too. Oh, my. Oh, and a new, like, desktop computer. Oh, and a new cloud. Like, they're coming out with all these things with this announcement, right? So you bought it at $100. Then they announce all these things. And let's say the stock goes up to $110 because, like, all these excitement. They haven't done anything differently except made an announcement that these things are coming out. And everybody gets excited. The stock goes from 100 to $110. So then you just made 10% on your money. Well, you can do that inside of the 401k. You typically can't buy individual stock inside of a 401k, but you can buy a mutual fund that's like like um, looking at technology. And inside of that technology, let's call it a file or port, like a little a little bucket. Inside of that little bucket, there might be a, a share or two of Apple. So it's the same kind of thing. But then all of a sudden, Apple's like a year down the road. They said it was going to come out today, and they go, you know what? Hey. We've had some supply chain issues. We've had this. We've had the, these reasons. All of those things that we promised we're not going to be able to deliver until five years from now. Like something crazy, right? So then the stock's going to drop. It's going to go from 110. Let's just say it goes back to 100. You're at even. And then it goes down to 90. Well, you just lost 10%. So through that whole time, you didn't actually lose money. You're just to count the numbers on the screen, the digital numbers, have been going up and down. So that's essentially the engine of that 401k vehicle that's driving the cash that you put in the back seat. That's all that is, okay? So now let's use the four pillars to measure all that. I just want to give you a breakdown of that if you've never heard of that before. I don't know where you're coming from on your financial education scale. Nobody teaches this stuff, so that's why I give that to you. So let's use the four pillars. Let's say we want to use this as a vehicle to retire and be financially free. Remember, I said nobody's ever done it. So spoiler alert, I've already spoiled it. But so we put our money in there. Um, is a 401k safe? Can we remember the question? Safety is our first pillar. Is a 401k safe? Can we lose money? Have people lost money before? Those are the questions that we ask to help give us clarity and understanding. Well, what do we just talk about? We just talked about that you can invest in companies like Apple. They can appreciate and depreciate depending on all kinds of things. So if they can depreciate, the stock went from $110 down to 90 in my little example. Can you lose money? Yeah. So is a 401k safe? No. So instead of putting a check mark, we're gonna put a big old red X. 401k is not safe. It's okay, it, it's not, I'm not emotionally connected to anything. I'm not emotionally attached to that thing. So I'm just gonna pull back and go, Okay, that's all. it is what it is. It's all good. It's just a red X. Next one, liquidity. Is it liquid? Well, and now you do some Google, some Google foo, Google research on this, but there's a lot of strings attached to a 401k. For example, you can't touch your money until age 59 and a half. And I would Google that. It's called the 59 and a half rule. What that means is when you start saving money in a qualified plan, remember, 401k is a type of qualified plan. There's many others. There's IRAs, there's Roth IRAs, stuff like that. You put money in a qualified plan. You can't touch it until age 59 and a half. So depending on what age you are, that's a long time. That could be a long time for you to touch your money. Man, I think I picked the loudest road 
I possibly could to do this podcast. <laughs> so I am so sorry. I'm about to turn a corner and go back into the neighborhood, my neighborhood, and then we won't, you won't be hearing all of this craziness. I, you know, I'm, I'm walking like in the middle of the highway. <laughs> but um, so anyway. Yeah, so that's there's a lot of liquidity concerns when it comes to a 401k. Like if I need my money, I can't really get it. There's some there's some like strings attached, like and some caveats of how you can get out of that. But for the most part, it's really tough, and it's most most of the time not possible without penalty. So depending what age you are, you go to to take your money out of your 401k. There's a 10% penalty, which means you can't access that money until the age of 59 and a half, and that's a big time deal in certain situations. And you just want to know that going into it. So using the four pillars, we've got safety. How safe is my money? Liquidity. How liquid is it? If I need it, can I get to it? Well, the first two, it doesn't pass. It doesn't pass those first two filters. It's not safe. And no, it's not liquid because I can't get to it until age 59 and a half. Right. And number three, now there's there's loans and there's things you can do, but it's and I I totally get that. I'm not going to go into all of those details. But the general consensus is it's not liquid. Like, it's not like li- – liquidity is basically kind of like a scale, right? Like, the most liquid is you got cash in your pocket. I just reach into my pocket, and I got cash, and I can buy a thing. And then it, then it kind of just scales from there. And it can go any which scale. Like, like having a home, the house isn't really liquid. I'm going to have to sell it or refinance it like a home equity loan to get some cash out of it. So, so I'm going to have to qualify or I'm going to sell it. So it just depends. It's a scale of how liquid something is. So same kind of thing with the 401k. So I know there's there's caveats and all kinds of stuff around that you can do, but generally it's not liquid. And then number three, rate of return. What kind of rate of return can we expect from that? What kind of rate of return has it done historically? All things like that. Those are the questions that we ask when we're on the third pillar, which is rate of return, and we're looking at the 401k. Well, the question, the answer here is it depends. Because it depends when you measure that time frame. There's a lot of people that um, you know had a 401k when they came out and they did well. They took off and depending when they retired, they took their money out. They could have had a very good rate of return on paper. But when you look at it like the zoomed out perspective from the historical perspective, it didn't really do that well. Like, and if you measure, man, I'm finding all the dogs in the neighborhood. That's okay. A little difficulty we can push through, I believe in us. Hey, morning. So when we're looking at all these things, it's like, for example, the 401k, when you measure it, and some people retired um, right during that that 2008, 2009 crash, and the market just dropped like a rock, and they retired right then, they could have lost 20, 30, 40, 50% during that time frame, and they're getting ready to retire. So they could have been having a great rate of return that entire time up to that point. And then all of a sudden, the bottom falls out. Well, do you think they're feeling good about it? No, not at all. So that's one of the things you have to keep in mind is that there's a direct correlation. There's a direct connection between pillar number one and pillar number three, the safety of it and the rate of return of it. If you can eliminate losses, you can increase your rate of return. And that's what Warren Buffett talked about. Warren Buffett's got two rules to investing. Rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. <laughs> Isn't that easy? Even a knucklehead like me can remember that. 
Never lose money and never forget rule number one. Got it. Thanks, Warren. Moving on. So that's a direct correlation. And then number four, the most important, taxation. How am I going to be taxed on this? I got my money in a 401k. When I go to take my money out, you're going to be taxed as earned income. So whatever tax bracket you are in retirement, that's how you're going to be taxed. And then you take that money out, you're going to be taxed. As, I'm not going to get into um, the, the marginal tax rates and all that, how that works. I'm probably going to have a CPA on, and we can talk about that in detail. So you can hear about that. But you're, def- you're delaying tax to the future, which is like a tax lien on your account forever. The only way you can get out of that tax lien is to pay taxes. And the IRS has a tax lien on that account forever. So the real, real question The real question is who designed the 401k and for whose benefit? They looking out for you? It's qualified with the IRS or is the IRS looking out for them? Mm. And of course, as a a country, we're in trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. Just Google US debt calculator and look, there's a running clock of all the debt that we're in and how fast it's rising every second. If you want to be depressed, you can do that. If you don't want to be depressed, just pretend like you didn't hear anything I said. So we're trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. As of this recording, there's just been a lot of releases of like the CARES Act and, and so many stimulus packages to get the economy moving and, and rocking again. That's going to add to it, to the liability side of the balance sheet. And there's a lot of debt that we've accumulated. And the only way the U.S. government makes money is how? Through taxation. That's it. That's the only way the United States government makes money is by taxes, by taxing you and I. So is it wise to put money into account, an account that's tax deferred, that right now, as of this recording in 2020, we're in the lowest tax brackets we've been since the 1930s. That's where we currently are. We've also got this cloud hanging over us that we're trillions and trillions of dollars in debt, which means if the government's only way to make money is taxation, they're going to have to raise taxes. We're already at a low. We've got this giant cloud hanging over us of all this debt that we've got to kind of reconcile somehow. So does it make sense to put our money into an account that can just our debt liability? I mean, our tax liability is going to grow and grow over time, man, because if you think about it, I put a dollar in. I want that money to grow. That's my intention when I put money into those accounts, those 401ks and tax deferred accounts. My intention is to turn that one dollar into 10, the 10 into 20, the 20 into 30. Right. What does that mean? That means I got a business partner named Uncle Sam. Think about this. Here's my question. I'm going to wrap this up. Would you ever go into business with somebody where they make up all the rules, but you pay all the bills? What kind of deal is that? And that's essentially what the 401k is. Uncle Sam made up all the rules, but you've got to foot the bill. You got the tax liability. You've got the risk inside of that account. All of those things. So anyway, that's who used the four pillars. Those are two examples, two common examples, the 401k. And buying a home in 30 days. Those are some great examples. But the four pillars is a framework for thinking. It's a framework to get yourself out of your own shoes and use a framework for thinking. I've learned that from a guy named Charlie Munger. This is this is the craziest thing because I'm like, we're 30 minutes into this. We're wrapping this up. And I'm giving you the good stuff right at the end. So Charlie Munger, which is a good reason, like always hang out. You might get some some gold nuggets right towards the end. So Charlie Munger, I want you to do some research on him. He's a guy I mentored under back in the day. Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's right-hand man. They both co-founded a little bitty company called Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway has gone on to become one of the most successful companies of all time. And essentially, they're kind of like a holding company. They've owned a ton of other companies. But 
if you Google it, Berkshire shares, Berkshire Hathaway, I think it's share A. They're, I believe they're trading at like $290,000 a share right now, $300,000 per share. To give you some context, Amazon is around $2,000 per share. Amazon, $2,000. Berkshire Hathaway, $300,000. That's crazy. So those guys know how to build value, how to take, take companies and really increase their valuation, increase the value that they bring to the marketplace, all of that stuff. And Charlie Munger taught me the framework for thinking because he calls it a mental lattice work. I call it a framework. But it's just a way to get out of your own way. Charlie Munger was a very smart guy, graduated from Stanford. There's actually a couple of, of buildings at Stanford University named after him. It's a very exceptional human being. And a mental lattice work or framework of thinking just allows you, your confirmation bias, the things you want to see that aren't really there, it allows you to get out of your own way. And that helps you build wealth. So I hope you found this podcast valuable. We're going to cue the outro, and I will see you later. Take care. If you enjoy this episode and want to master money, go to nomoneynoproblems.com and begin to learn the principles of the wealthy and master money with my digital course and wealth planning tools. That's nomoneynoproblems.com. No, like understand money. No, like zero problems. Nomoneynoproblems.com. No